We're going to be looking at the songs of Christmas, and thus the name of the series, The Songs of Christmas. Isn't that clever? I mean, we just kind of came up with that all by ourselves. Okay, so uh, there has been no event in human history that has warranted and garnered more songs. There are a billion Christmas songs. Uh, Chris was talking about it this morning. He, he's gonna, he said he's going to uh, cut a, a Thanksgiving album because there really isn't any songs about Thanksgiving. And really, there aren't many songs about Thanksgiving. But Christmas is a different animal. And if you've not noticed, in the last few years, everybody is putting out a Christmas album. Now, uh, I've discovered some that you may not know about, but you might want to get your, for your friends or family uh, for the Christmas season. So here are a couple albums you might not know about, but you might want to get, okay? Uh, Snoop Dogg presents Christmas in the Doghouse. I know some of you are big Snoop fans. Uh, Twisted Christmas by Twisted Sister. Uh, I'm sure that's, that's really great. I haven't personally heard it. Uh, as a Kentuckian, I like this next one, Christmas with Colonel Sanders. Uh, that uh, is a finger-licking good time right there. Uh, a Rosie O'Donnell Christmas. Can you imagine what that's like? I know some of you are big fans, and you should get that. And then uh, I, pretty much everybody in the room will like this uh, album, A Waffle House Christmas. I mean, how can you go wrong with that? Uh, just song after song after song about Christmas. Now, uh, I did a little survey with some of my friends who know music, and we came up with the top ten, the top ten, um, oh, I didn't change this yet. Uh, the Birth of Christ inspired more music. I, I see it on this slide, but not here. Uh, more songs than any of the others. All right, here are the top ten uh, non-religious songs for Christmas of all time. See if you agree with this. I guess I should ask you, what, what is yours, and then maybe you'll see if it's up there. What, what's your favorite Christmas song you're looking forward to that's not sort of religious? Anybody? What? My grown-up Christmas list. It's not on this list. Sorry, uh, you're not going to get that one. But uh, uh, it's great. On the list, yes. What else? Yeah, not going to make that. Uh, he didn't make it, but it is fun. It is fun. You know, that song's fun one time. Uh, <laughs> then, then it gets old. What else? That's on the list, I believe. Yes. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's not making it either, uh, just so you know. All right, here's top ten non-religion non Christmas songs. Uh, Santa Claus Coming to Town, Bruce. Uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Who said that? Somebody just said that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Rocking Around the Christmas Tree, Last Christmas, <laughs> which is Scott Garrison's favorite. Uh, he's in the booth. He loves Wham! and Last Christmas. Uh, you know, something that didn't make this was Bieber. Uh, I can't, I, you know, some of us have Bieber fever and it didn't make it. Uh, Blue Christmas, there's that. Um, Christmas time is here. That's uh, Christmas time is here. Uh, White Christmas, nobody said that. Feliz Navidad is a great song. Uh, the Christmas song, that's the one that says, have yourself, what is that? How's that go? Oh, chestnuts roasting. Yeah, that's right. On an open fire. And then All I Want for Christmas is You is number one, according to some surveys. Uh, also a big hit, a big fan, uh, Scott Garrison. Okay, now, the top ten religious ones. What, which ones are you looking forward to singing uh, religious songs this Christmas? Oh, Holy Night's a good one. Yeah, I like that one. What? That's a good one. I, I can't remember what's on here, but I like that one too. Yeah, Old Little Town of Bethlehem is great. What? That's a good one. Uh, we're, doing a, we're doing a sermon on Silent Night, uh, Christmas Day. 
just so you know. It's really an interesting story behind that. You might think you know it. Um, there's more to that story. Don't look it up. I want to I surprise you on Christmas Day. So come Christmas Day and we're going to hear some stuff about Silent Night that you might not know. What else? Mary, did you know that's a good one? Yeah. All right, so here are the top ten religious ones. Christmas shoes. Um, <laughs> my friend Chris Roberts is favorite uh, Christmas song. <laughs> Go tell it on the mountain. Oh, come all ye faithful. Hark the herald angels sing. God rest you. This is my favorite. God rest you, Mary, gentlemen. Um, Liz, are you singing that for us? No pressure, but you really need to. Okay, all right. What, what Sunday are you doing that? 18, two weeks from today. My all-time favorite. I think I like that one because it's not, it's not out a ton. Um, Silent Night, O Holy Night, Angels We Have Heard on High, um, Away in the Manger, and Noel. These, this is an unscientific survey. Just I kind of pooled some people and I looked at some uh, websites and all that kind of thing. But the very first Christmas song was sung by a young woman by the name of Mary. And uh, so we're going to kind of do a behind-the-music uh, with the Magnificat, uh, which means uh, I magnify. And so Jesus uh, is foretold, and Mary uh, has this encounter with an angel, and then she sings this song. And so if you if you're, uh, have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 1 today. But there is some stuff that goes on behind the music. So you all know this show, I think it was on VH1, and they would do behind the music with certain uh, artists and, and groups. And um, as a guy that kind of likes music, I would watch some of those because some of those bands I cared about. Okay, so th- there's a backstory to everything. It was interesting. This week, I went and got my hair cut. It looks great, don't you think? And uh, uh, I was sitting in the chair, and then uh, all of a sudden this song came on. All right, so you two uh, music people. Uh, it was called Ohio. Do you all know this song? It was Neil Young wrote it, but it was uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young that sang it, I think. And it was a protest song about the thing in Kent State, right? The... Uh, I'm a little too young for that, but you older people know it. Uh, so, uh, so it's a protest song. And so I'm sitting in the barber's chair, uh, and uh, this song comes on, and I'm like, oh, that's catchy, kind of folksy. And, and then it's like, oh, hi, oh, it's like, oh, I like that. Well, there's a story behind that song. There was, you know, uh, the National Guard went to Kent State, and there was a protest, and they shot people, and they wrote a song about it. And there's a story behind most songs, and if you've watched the movie, I can only imagine. It's a great movie about a great song, and there's a story behind the song. And you don't know, when you hear the song, you don't always know the story behind the song. So there's a story behind the song that Mary sings. And we're going to look at, the, we're going to look at it in just a second, but there's a story behind it. And, and it took amazing devotion for this young woman. And we have to remember, Mary was probably 16 15, 16, 17 years old. You have to understand life expectancy wasn't as long. Uh, Parents arranged marriage. Uh, Young women got married much, much earlier. I can't imagine, at least I have a (laughs) 16-year-old. If she wanted to get married, I would kill her and the other person. Uh, You know, it's like, uh, so um, it 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 was a different world. But it makes it different when you think about how incredibly young she was to have the depth of insight that she had. All right, so you all know the backstory a little bit. She's minding her own business, 
She's living in a, a little town. Um, she's uh, engaged to a, a man named Joseph. Um, everything is kind of going the way it goes with young women in that era, in that time, in the near Middle East. And, and there she is, and she's uh, expecting marriage, and then kids, and then life, because that's what young women had. And she's visited by an angel who tells her that she is going to be uh, pregnant by God and have God's son. And this has never happened before. She's never heard of it before. And that's the situation she finds herself in. Now, it, it is a dangerous situation. Because in that culture, according to the Torah, the law... If you are a young woman, and again, these laws were mostly, uh, they, they mostly favored men. If you're a young woman and you're found uh, to be with child outside of wedlock, then uh, the Torah prescribed, uh, at least um, indicated that you could uh, be stoned to death for that offense. And what would happen is the father and mother would bring their daughter who is in shame, who's shamed the family, and they would, uh, they would stone her to death in, at, the, uh, at, at the city gates. And so when, when the angel says to Mary, you're going to be with child, her, her immediate response is, how can this be? I've never been with a man. And I think probably in her mind she's thinking, how can this be? Because this is really dangerous. Um, her, her community could have easily... Uh, they could have stoned her. They would have certainly ostracized her. I mean, that was just sort of a given. It, it was a culture where that particular event would have been so abhorrent to them uh, morally that she would have been ostracized. And then to understand that she is going to be the mother of the Messiah... So they had an idea about messiahs, and the messiah was the one who was going to come, and he was going to change the political culture. So now not only is she in danger of her own people, she would be in danger from the religious leader, not the religious, the political leaders uh, in, in her country, because her country was an occupied country. And the Romans don't take kindly to the fact that there might be a new king. And so all of this is, uh, has to be running through her mind when the angel says, oh yeah, by the way, you're going to be pregnant with the Messiah, God's son. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to think about things when I'm in a situation. Like if you give me news, I have to think about it a little bit. And yet Mary has this encounter, and the thing that she says is this, let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me. And the Beatles sing this song uh, centuries later. Um, Paul McCartney writes this song, uh, let it be, let it be. Um, and this is the song of Mary. Uh, let it be. There is a, a depth of faith that is um, remarkable because she knows the implications of the decision she's about to make. Um, I don't know if she could have said no 
I think God always gives us an opportunity to say no to His will. We have free freedom. We can say no. And yet she doesn't say no. And she, I'm, there's no way she could have understood the full ramifications of what she's about to, uh, to get herself into. And yet she was willing to say yes because God was asking her to do something. And oftentimes God asks us to do difficult things. He often does. It's easy to say no to fun, uh, to say yes to fun stuff, you know. Um, it's difficult to say yes to difficult things, and that's what she does. There's this, she says yes, and then not only that, now she starts to sing this song, and Mary said, and, and we, we, it's kind of a poem, but it's a song. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And this song is called. The Magnificat. The Magnificat means to magnify. It, it means to, to make something uh, bigger. And, and so every soul magnifies something. Every single soul. We all magnify something. We all uh, have uh, something that has a prominent place in our life. For the alcoholic, the, the magnification is the bottle. For the workaholic, the mag magnification is success. For some, it's, uh, for fa fans, you magnify your team. Uh, it's just kind of how it works. And some of us get the wrong things that we magnify, but we all magnify something. And so Mary sings this song, My soul magnifies the Lord. This is what it looks like. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. By the way, over and over and over in this particular text, she is quoting or she's referencing the Psalms. There are a ton of references back to the book of Psalms. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. This is a young lady who's just been told you're going to be put in the most dangerous situation you can imagine. And this is her response. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from the thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. This is a song that she's singing about Israel, about the Messiah, while the country is occupied by the Romans. Super interesting. To Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. He has been merciful, just as he promised. He has his hand on uh, us. And let me give you one example of a psalm. My soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. And you have to understand, you and I, we have uh, Bibles. Uh, how many do you have in your house? 10 to 20? I mean, we have a lot of Bibles. We can get to a Bible on our tablet or on our phone. I mean, our access to scripture is much different than Mary's. Many biblical scholars believe Mary has probably memorized the book of Psalms, all 150 uh, Psalms. Um, the, I, I don't even know my own phone number anymore. I mean, can you imagine uh, having that sort of uh, mental acumen to be able to memorize all of the book of Psalms? You see, they didn't. Uh, 
this monk one time, he decided, hey, there ought to be chapters and verses that's going to make it easier to find stuff. And so when I said earlier, hey, turn to Luke 1, well, that's easy for us. We know where Luke 1 is. But imagine it being a scroll, and you're having to roll the scroll out to find the text that you want with no, there are no chapter markings, there are no verse markings. You just have to try to figure out where it is. And so you have to really know your Bible because you have to read this portion, and you think to yourself, oh, what I want is further along in the book we do it when we like record something you know and we want to watch it again it's like oh that part happens here uh you know like if you're watching a great classic movie uh dumb and dumber uh and uh and you're watching that or or, or a great christmas movie like die hard and and uh, and they 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 get into you know takahomi plaza and you know that's happening well that's really early and and i know that something else happens later and i want that later part and and so for Mary, she would have a, a scroll, and you didn't have access to that. It's like everybody had a scroll in their house or 75 scrolls in their house. I mean, you, you might have a scroll at the temple, at the synagogue. You go to the synagogue, and there might be a temple, a, 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 a scroll, and you could roll out the scroll. And, and so for her to know this, to quote so much of the Psalms, in, or, or to at least allude to it in her, in her song, uh, it, it, she just really understood her Bible. She, she is comfortable with it. And there's this cultural setting. I don't know that we all understand this, but there was a guy named Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus um, was eventually... I don't know if he declared himself. I can't remember. I don't think it was like this. I think uh, somebody said, oh, he is a god. And he didn't like say, no, I'm not a god. Uh, so I, it's not like he, he, he pushed down the, the rhetoric. And so uh, they began to call him, he's august, he is holy, he's God. Well, Caesar Augustus, he has a, um, adopts a son named Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar sort of buys into the fact that he is now the son of God, interestingly enough. So this language is all over the empire, the Roman Empire. They all know this language. The Jews certainly know this language. Mary knows this language, that, that Julius Caesar is considered the son of God because Caesar Augustus was considered a god. And Julius Caesar, well, he, he brought peace it's called the Pax Romana. He brought peace into the world of Rome. And there were conflicts, and you think, think of uh, uh, Cleopatra. There were conflicts, and so he is the one who, um, who, who settles all that down. He, he tamps down the flames of controversy and of rebellion. And so he is called a savior because he saves the people with the peace that he brings uh, into uh, all of his kingdom. And um, people all over the kingdom, they call it the euangelion. The good news of Julius Caesar is that he is the one who is the bringer of peace. And you see inscriptions like this. This is about uh, Augustus. Sending Augustus as a savior for us and to those who came after us to bring peace the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the world of the good news that has come to men through him. 
And so Caesar Augustus, well, uh, these are the words, the expressions that you see in Jesus' era, in Mary's era, that describe Caesar uh, Augustus. He's called a savior. He's called a son of God. He's called the bringer of peace. His reign is called good news. Does any of that sound familiar to you? I mean, it's all familiar, right? I mean, we see it over and over. Um, in Luke 1, Mary's told that Jesus will be the, what? The son of who? The son of the Most High. He will be, he will literally be the son of God. There is a faux son of God out there. His name is Caesar Augustus. There will be a real, a genuine son of God. The language is throughout. Um, the angel said to the shepherds, For I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you euangelion, good news. And this language, the shepherds would say, Oh, that's what they're saying about the reign of the Caesars. Say the same thing. In the gospel it says, For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior is born to you. And the angels sing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. He is the bringer of peace. And so all the things they were saying about Caesar Augustus is the exact same thing that Mary and the angels are saying about Jesus. And I don't know if you know this, but rulers don't really like this language. If you're in charge, you don't want to hear that there's another person who's going to be in charge. They really frown upon this. People in power have a tendency to like their power. We see it in politics today all the time. Now, look at what happened. Uh, when the shepherds had seen the baby Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Everybody was amazed. And then it says this, really interesting text. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I always have read that verse like it's a Hallmark movie verse. Like she's got a cup of herbal tea and she's sitting at the kitchen table and she's sort of reflecting on what has happened. You know, oh, I'm, uh, I'm going to have uh, this baby and, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, he's going to be the son of God and the bringer of peace. And, and uh, isn't, that, isn't that awesome? Uh, like, like it, it, she's, you know, like in her little bathrobe. And, but I don't think it's that at all. In fact... It's fairly technical, this language. Um, a prophet, before he delivered the word of God, and so Old Testament prophets would often begin by saying, thus saith the Lord, or so says God. And so what they would do, look, if you're going to speak for God, you probably ought to be really, really sure that you're knowing what God wants you to say. Now, uh, modern-day orators like myself, uh, those who preach, we have the advantage of having the, the, the Bible, and we can look at the Bible, and it gives us something, uh, uh, you know, something to go from. But when you're a prophet, when you're the one you know, kind of uh, espousing, uh, spouting the words of God from the first, then you have to be certain 
that what you say is from God. And so Mary is pondering. She's thinking to herself. She's reflecting on all these events and what it's going to mean not only for her, but for her people. She is part of a people. And a Messiah that comes to the people, it influences everybody. And so she's thinking to herself, this this is the biggest thing that could ever happen to a person. Think about, there are prominent men in this story. Joseph, they say about Joseph, her her husband, that he is a righteous man. He's righteous. It's a great word. That's one of the things you want said about you. Uh, He's righteous. And you have magi from the east, and they're almost certainly men. And they are wise. They're called wise men. We call them the wise men. They have, uh, they have this knowledge, and so they're, they're very, very sharp. You know? uh, you, you've got Herod. He's powerful. He wants to know about the Messiah so he can eliminate the competition. He's got power. Uh, Zechariah is prophetic. Lots of men in this story are uber-powerful, have uh, these great accolades attached to them. But then you have little Mary, little 16-year-old Mary, and she gets it like nobody else gets it. It is a remarkable story. Mary the theologian, everything we know about the birth of Christ comes from Mary. Somebody interviewed Mary because she is the lone eyewitness when Joseph dies. And and she's the one, she's pondering, she's reflecting, she is mentally scrapbooking the things that need to be said later on, and she remembers these things. One of my daughters just had a birthday, November 25th. When you have lots of kids, like we do, I can't remember the day. I can't remember what happened. Uh, Kids really want you to say, it was rainy that morning and uh, we packed a bag and we drove to the hospital. Those are great stories. I make that stuff up. I don't actually remember what happened on November 25th, 20-something years ago. I just don't remember it. Mary remembers these details. They are etched in her memory. And here's what's true. The things we treasure and the things we ponder are the things we magnify. And so a question for us today would be, okay, what what do I spend a lot of time thinking about? What do I ponder? If you find yourself pondering how to make a living, or if you find yourself pondering, um, you know, what's happening with your sports team, or if you find yourself pondering, you know, what what I'm going to buy next... We have this tendency to ponder the things we magnify. We, we think about, we concentrate on them. It's just who we are. It's how it works. And Mary, it says, she pondered and she treasured these things. Now, don't miss this point. The Magnificat isn't this innocent little religious nice song. It is a song of rebellion. And if I go back to the Beatles just one more time, this is the song of revolution. They say, you want a revolution. This is that song. I sounded just like him, didn't I? Uh, Just like him. This little peasant girl, I mean, she would have had nothing 
Yet she sings this song of, you know, this is like, this is the song of, you know, take this job and shove it. I mean, this is kind of what it is. This is this song. Hey, Romans, there's a new sheriff in town. That's the Magnificat. Um, look at what she says. He has scattered, God has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. <laughs> and if you're the one who is lifted up, like now, not, not, uh, she's basically saying, hey, 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 uh, God is going to humble you people. Look, Herod was brutal. He was the ruler of that region. He was uh, uh, a puppet of Rome. Uh, he did what he was told, and his job was to make sure the people in Israel behaved themselves, and he was a harsh taskmaster. The Jews were taxed relentlessly. I mean, these are people who are truly oppressed. The Jews, they, they, they are oppressed. And so Mary says that God will scatter those in, who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And everybody knew who she was talking about. Oh, that's about Caesar. That's about the Romans. That's about Herod. Everybody knows it. She sings it, and everybody knows it. E. Stanley Jones says, it's the most revolutionary document in the world, the Magnificat. In the 1980s, the government of Guatemala would not let it be published or talked about this song because it was so politically subversive. Super interesting. And one day, Jesus grows up and he defies the rulers who are proud. Let me go back to it. Who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He defies them all. He defies Pilate. I mean, Pilate sits there and he says, do you not know I have your life in my hands? And Jesus is like, no, you don't. You only have what God has given you. Have you ever thought about what Jesus says to these people in power? And the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they strut around in their big robes, and everybody uh, gives them this great honor, and yet Jesus is like, you all are whitewashed tombs. And everybody gives them respect, but not Jesus. He is this revolutionary, and the people love him for it. And Mary sang about it. There's going to be a time when the high are brought low and the humble are lifted up. You see, when we begin to magnify God, then other things, fears get smaller. Worries get littler. Future looks brighter. Death loses its sting. 
when we magnify God and we understand that God has a plan and that He has a future for us, then everything changes. Mary's encouragement to us would be, um, look at it from God's perspective. That's what she did. And when you love somebody, you start to sing songs. You sing songs. At my my family, you know, uh, with all those girls, um, we we would sing songs, and I would make up songs. I have uh, the bath song. I wrote it myself. I'll sing it to you now. It's fun to take a bath, fun to take a bath, fun, 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 fun to take a bath. My wordsmithing skills are obvious in this particular song. When we wrestle, I would sing, I think you're stuck, you're out of luck, so please don't pout, you can't get out. And I would sing these songs, and those became the songs of the vests. That was our, those were our songs. And at supper, I would sing the pinto beans and cornbread song. It's a classic. And uh, we had songs. And Mary had a song, and she sang it. And I don't think this is the only time she ever sang it. I suspect she sang it, and Jesus listened. And Mary's song became Jesus' song. And you see in his life elements of that song. It's really interesting. Gabriel says to Mary, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, that's impossible. How can this be? And Gabriel says, all things are possible with God. And then Jesus eventually says, with all things, with God, all things are possible. Where did she, where did he hear that? And he says these things, and you can hear like a little echo in the back of your mind. uh, Jesus saying to Mary, hey, mom, I'm singing our song. I'm singing our song. And Mary said, God has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. He's mindful of those of us who are little uh, peasant people. And she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And later in life, there's... Jesus, and he has this opportunity to teach, and it's the greatest, most uh, analyzed sermon ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in that sermon, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is an, a reflection of what Mary sang. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, where they will be shown mercy. And you can hear kind of an echo in the background. Hey, Mom. That's your song. That's our song. One of the characteristics of Jesus' teaching is called the great inversion. The last will be first, the first will be last. It's like, that's exactly what she said. She said, the rulers will be brought down, the humble will be lifted up. And Jesus says, the last will be first, the first will be last. And you hear in the background Jesus saying, Hey, Mom, I'm singing our song. Over and over and over, you see it in the life of Christ, that he, he, he becomes the fulfillment of the song that Mary sang. 
She she said, uh, God fills the hungry with good things. What did Jesus do? He's teaching one day, there are 5,000 people, 5,000 men, there's no telling how many people, some speculate as many as 15,000, including women and children, and they are without food, and Jesus gives them food, and Mary said, God fills the hungry with good things. And Jesus literally filled the hungry with good things. Another time, there was 4,000 people, and He did the same thing. This is what He did, and after... His resurrection, they find him on a beach preparing a meal for the fishermen because that is what he does. And in all of these stories, you can hear kind of in the background, Hey mom, I'm singing our song. You see, giving and Christmas just go together because that is the song of Mary and that is the life of Christ. And you're going to go places and they're going to be ringing bells and that's just a continuation of, hey, uh, it's a time to give. And next time you hear the bell ringing or next time you fill up a box and you send it with Samaritan's Purse, I want you to hear in the back of your mind Jesus saying, hey mom, they're singing our song. Because Mary's song and Jesus' song is our song. Now can't you imagine Jesus probably ask, Hey mom, what was it like when I was born? She could tell the story, well there's an angel and he came and he told me I was going to be pregnant with you, that you were the Son of God. And it was really scary and yet I said let it be according to your word and I can imagine that she said son there are going to be times when God asks you to do difficult things and when he does I want you to say, let it be according to your word. And years later, Jesus is in a garden. He prays for relief. If, Lord, you can take this cup. And then he says, let it be to me according to your word. And then he says, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Let it be. Let it be according to your word. There are two kinds of magnifying. A microscope magnifies things that are really little and makes them big. A telescope magnifies things that are really big and makes them big, bigger to you. Uh, like you're looking at the moon through a telescope, then it becomes bigger. Uh, if you're looking at a germ, you need a microscope. If you're looking at the moon, you need a telescope. Two kinds of magnification. When the Bible says for us to magnify the Lord, David said, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. 
David is not, and Jesus is not, and Mary is not asking us to take a God who is little and make him big. He's asking us to take a God who is big and to remember that he is really big in our own spirits. We magnify the Lord. He is big enough to do anything he wants. Thank you, Lord, for this incredible song. Thank you for the backstory and what it means to us. Thank you, Lord, that you help us see um, that you, your plan has always been salvation and healing. And we're thankful that you do lift up the humble. And we're thankful for Mary and her song, which became Jesus' song, which can become our song. Lord, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.